Matthew 16. I'm just in the tradition of the church, uh, God's word is meant to be heard, proclaimed publicly. Not everyone had the money to buy the printed word, and so mo- most people came to understand the faith through hearing it spoken to them. And so here are these words from Matthew 16. Since Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. When Jesus showed up, he showed up bringing eternity. The way he lived, the way he taught, he was was not just pointing to a future hope. He was embodying that hope and inviting people into it. But one of the questions very early on when Jesus was going around preaching and teaching was a very simple and fundamental question. Who is Jesus? Who is he? And when you reflect on it, you you begin to understand that this is actually the question. It is the question of all questions, and how you answer it determines what you believe about Jesus and how it affects what you do from here on out. Does eternity matter now because of who Christ is, or are we holding on for something Jesus taught a lot of things. He was going around the the countryside sort of an itinerant preacher. And he was healing people. He was forgiving people. And and he was doing all these things. And he comes across the teachers of the law at the beginning of this chapter that I read a second ago. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees demand Jesus to give them signs. But Jesus is frustrated with this question, this demand, because... He has been giving them signs and preaching all along, and they they do not hear, they cannot see what it is he is telling them. And so he returns to his disciples, and, and he looks at them after having just experienced what he did with the religious leaders, and he asks them, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers this question and confesses his faith in the process. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the Son of God. And and Jesus, hearing this confession, said that on this rock, this confessional rock that Peter made, he was going to build his church. And this makes sense because if you cannot confess that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, then there is no church. It makes no sense for his people to gather, for us to live the way we're called to live, unless you can confess 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If this is not what you believe, if this is not how you see Jesus, then it's a lot of foolishness. It makes no sense. So this is the question, right? The question of all questions, and it began very early on. Is he the Son of God? Is he who he claims to be? Well, in Scripture, uh, Jesus is going to get baptized, and God the Father says this. He confirms this truth. The heavens open up, the dove appears, and in Matthew chapter 3 it says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so God the Father points out that Jesus is his Son. Jesus himself says it. He refers to himself this way. In John 15, he says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so the father was saying it. Jesus is making himself equal with God, calling God his father. And what's even crazy, more crazy, is that even the demons acknowledge this in Scripture. The demons see Jesus, and you say that whenever they saw him, the unclean spirits would fall down before him and cry out, You are the Son of God. And so people confess this truth throughout the Gospels. So we we get a sense that Jesus absolutely is the Son of God. But the follow-up question to that is, then, is Jesus God? The answer to this also matters. Jesus refers to himself as God. He says that I and the Father are one. Or in John chapter 8, he says that before Abraham was, I am. He, He refers to himself in the same language that God refers to himself before Moses. Yahweh, I am, the beginning and the end. But Jesus even says and teaches in the New Testament, he's like, but it isn't just take my word for it. Like, of course, anyone can say, I am God. And it's pretty impressive that God himself and demons call him the son of God. But if the word itself, if that, that proclamation itself isn't believable, he actually says, just look at what I do. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And what was Jesus doing? Well, he was going around teaching. He was proclaiming all these truths, but he's the only one who could say to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out, and he raises from the dead. He's the only one that could go to the blind and give them sight. He's the only one who had the authority, and scandalously so, to say, you are forgiven, because only God could do that. He embodied the Father. He showed himself to be God. He showed himself to be the Son of God. And this made the religious leaders very uncomfortable 
They couldn't wrap their mind around it. And it says that even after he confesses this, that they sought to arrest him. But Jesus escaped. And Jesus talks about this throughout the Gospels. He talks about those who can see and those who can't and those who can hear and those who can't. In Matthew 13, he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and do not see it. And hear what you hear and do not hear it. Despite the words, the events, the fulfillment of prophecy, everything going on, they couldn't see what was right in front of them, and they refused to hear what was being said. But we have the exact same problem now. People are still searching, but don't see and don't hear the truth. And this matters. Because who you see Jesus to be affects the way you live and what you do, or at least it should. And every other religion has to contend with Jesus. And this is what I find interesting is that every other religion, pretty much every world religion, has something to say about Jesus as they grapple with the question, who is he? In Judaism, they see him as a rabbi, an authoritative teacher. Not the Messiah, though. Not God. Just someone who is wise and taught well. In Islam, Jesus is the final prophet. Not God. And they do believe in some sects of Islam that he will come again to usher in the return of Muhammad. In Hinduism... They see Jesus as an incarnation of Vishnu, one of their gods, coming to fulfill another iteration of their religious practice and pointing people to another way. In secular humanism or in culture that doesn't really believe that Jesus is God or the Son of God. He's a righteous moral teacher. He's, he teaches morality. It's like a self-help kind of way of living. It's totally separate from the reality of eternity in the spiritual realm. And a lot of people honestly tend to think about Jesus this way. And so it's a question for you. What about you? Who do you say Jesus is? Because here's why it matters. If Jesus is just a moral teacher, take what you want and leave the rest, then he has no authority in this world or over you. And it doesn't matter that. And a lot of people are like this. This is why, you know, a lot of times we don't look any different than the rest of the world. I mean, God calls us to be set apart and be holy, to live differently, to function in some different way. And yet we find it difficult to do and we trade the grace that we have in Christ for some sort of cheap knockoff version that allows us to live comfortably and deny maybe in a way the reality of who Jesus is. But if Jesus is Lord, if he is the Son of God, if he is God, then we're going to hear what he says, and it's going to mean something. 
We're going to be called into something. We're going to be invited into something greater. And we're going to take his word seriously. Now let me just play this out for you. What are, what are some of the things that Jesus teaches that I think is really, really hard for us? Because if God and the Son, if he is God and he is the Son of God, then how we live and what we do ultimately matters. And so what are some of these things? Well, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, love your enemies. And what does that mean? Does that mean sue your brother or sister if they offend you or make you mad? Does it mean go to war against those who hurt you? Or does Jesus mean turn the other cheek? Is this just a recommendation? Or does it have eternal impact now? Or in Matthew 10, whoever wants to be a leader must be a servant, or whoever wants to be first a slave. This is why Anthony kneeled in front of me. He was modeling the life of Jesus. Weirdly. Those who are first will be last. Those who are last will be first. It's, it's about putting others ahead of your agenda. Living for the sake of someone else. Did he mean it? Or Matthew 6, I quote this verse to my wife all the time. Um, even on Mother's Day, to my demise, right? She doesn't like it always, but... He says, do not worry about tomorrow because there is enough to worry about today. So stop worrying. <laughs> like the past is in the past, the future we can't totally control. All we have is the here and now, this moment. Why worry? Be present with Jesus now. He's calling us to be present with him now. Did he mean it? Or Mark 8, turn from your selfish ways. Well, this morning, uh, you know, it's Mother's Day, and so the conundrum of mothers, they both want to be around their children and not be around their children simultaneously, right? And so I brought the kids to early service with me this morning. They've been with me all morning, and um, it's been fun. <laughs> but Jesus says, let the little children come to me. I mean, we're not, I mean, we're not supposed to sequester them off into another space so we don't have to deal with them. They're supposed to be part of the community of faith. They're supposed to sit at the feet of Jesus, just like we do. They learn from us. But it's hard. I know people who don't go to church because they can't go to church with their kids. Here's a hard one. You can't love God and money. Right? This is a challenge. This is really a challenge for me. It really is, especially as a senior pastor. As we build this model, this remodel, as we do all this work, you know, the expenses kind of go up, and I'm like, show me the money. Right? No, seriously. You can just leave it in your offering plate as you leave this morning. Um, but we're not all about money. The church isn't about money. We use it, but it's not the point. 
Our faithfulness isn't supposed to be wrapped around material things, the possession of things. We're supposed to store up for something greater, something eternal. If you believe Jesus. Or Matthew 18. This one's weird. If your hand, foot, or eye caused you to sin, cut it off or out. I don't know. <laughs> but Jesus is pointing out something. He's, he's calling us into a different way of being, right? Here's a hard one. Matthew 6. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Did he mean that? Or is forgiveness just for him and not for us? I mean, all these things are challenging and they're hard. They're not meant to be easy, but this is the point. Like, what is the point of having a Jesus who is the Son of God and who is God that can offer us forgiveness and grace? What is the point if we're not trying to follow him and failing and needing his mercy and grace? If we don't believe he is who he says he is, then we just live however we want to and we don't need forgiveness. We don't need grace. We don't need to try to love our neighbor as ourselves and turn the other cheek and not worry and not be about money and to put others before you turn away from selfishness we don't have to do any of that but if jesus is the son of god and he is god then we are called to do it and we must but guess what if he's the son of god and he is god when we fail we turn to him and he gives us forgiveness It's the only way it makes sense. Jesus talks about this too. He says in Luke 24, after his resurrection, he's talking to some of his followers, and he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That is, he gave them ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of who he is and the authority of what he's calling us into. Not to make us feel guilt and shame, but to show us what eternity looks like and to begin living it and being forgiven when we fail. He opens their eyes. And he says, thus it is written that Christ should suffer And on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That is, he came for the forgiveness of all of our sins, all the ways that we fail to follow him as we hear his call and go. And he says, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That power is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost, which we're looking forward to. It's what creates our faith and compels us forward in it. And then the text says, He led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And that's what we do here. At Bethany, we lift up our hands and we are blessed. We are blessed 
because we know who Jesus is, the Son of God and God. And so when he calls us to come and follow, we do. And when we don't hit the mark, we know we're forgiven because we know he's God and he can forgive us. And so we're blessed in his presence. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.